Good evening, friends and family. Woo! Welcome to church! Um, that energy just kind of came from nowhere, but it's good to see all of you. We're starting Daniel tonight with, what's up, brother? We're starting Daniel tonight with Gary Oliver here to teach us through chapter one. Um, hopefully, we will be inspired tonight to call upon the name of Jesus and no other name, no other name holds the power even comparable to the power that the name of Jesus holds. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with us and praise that name together? Hey, Marie. Hey, David. Good to see you. Lord, we worship you and you alone. Would you be praised only? Cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body Drenched in tea, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Praise the name of Jesus. Come on. Scripture read over you. If the ministry that brought condemnation is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison. 
with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. above every name, we praise your name and your name alone in this place, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. We are so grateful that we live under the new covenant. With unveiled faces, we see you. We can see you. Oh, the name of Jesus be glorified. Amen. You can have a seat. Hey, I'm Scott Jones. I'm the student team leader here at Fellowship Mosaic. And I love our student ministry. You ever wanna know some cool things that God is doing in the body of our church? Just email, text me or Bethany Donahue. We would love to tell you. Or Bree, because she's one of our cell group leaders. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, hey, welcome. If this is your first time or you're interested in more information on getting connected, don't leave without seeing someone in the info booth or follow the link to Mo New uh, to get more information on who we are. Um, hey, there are some prayer resources that we just want to put in front of you. Once a month, we have a prayer pause that uh, Tom Toomer, the leader of our prayer team, or someone who is on our prayer team has led us through these prayer pauses, and that's actually happening tonight. Um, so we get to experience one tonight. But if you go to our news page and you click on prayer resources, you'll be able to find uh, the recordings of all the prayer pauses that we've done so far. And there's gonna be some more resources added to that list down the road um, of, of ways uh, to help you as well as maybe your community or your family to have rhythms of prayer. Lastly, before I welcome someone up, uh, Mallory Easley, one of our juniors, is getting baptized tonight in second service. Let's give her a cheer. Yeah! <laughs> uh, so we get to celebrate that second hour 
we're not going to celebrate it this hour except for the way we just celebrated it right now. But we just want you guys to know what she looks like and that a member of our body is going to be baptized after you guys leave and go home. So let me say a, prick, a quick prayer over Mallory and then I'll welcome Lauren Toomer up to the stage to talk about women's retreat. Wherever you're at, Lauren, come, come ahead. Yeah, Lord, we um, are so grateful for what you've done in Mallory's life. We're so grateful for the leader that she is in our student ministry, um, for her father who served as an elder at our church, for the ways their family has been involved in so much community and discipleship in Northwest Arkansas for decades now. We're so grateful and we pray that your name would be glorified in great ways as we baptize her here in a little bit. Amen. Uh, hey, Lauren Toomer is here to talk about women's retreat. That's coming up. Go ahead, Lauren. Good evening, Mosaic. My name is Lauren Toomer, like Scott mentioned. I have been um, coming to Mosaic for about nine years, and my husband, Matthew, has been here for almost 20. He actually grew up here, and our daughter, Eleanor, is 18 months old, and she's the sweetest little thing, but we're so thankful to be a part of Mosaic. Um, so I'm actually a part of the Women's Ministry Committee here at Mosaic, and I... I'm here to talk about our retreat we're having. It's been, I don't know, maybe like two years since we've had a women's retreat. So this is a really big deal. Um, and we went to invite all the women to be a part of it. So our retreat is February 24th and 26th. I'm sorry, February 24th through 26th in Branson, Missouri. And we had this beautiful Airbnb. Um, and we just want to invite our women to come and connect with God, connect with each other. Um, I think we all can probably agree we've kind of lost a little bit of connection over the last couple of years. And so we want our women's ministry to be a place for women to come and, yeah, be a part. And so um, we're actually doing, it's called Garden to Garden. And we're going to talk through a four-series or four-part series, um, what, what is God's plan through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to walk through what is he saying, what is he telling us, and how God's story is written through the entirety of the Bible. And so um, we'll have four sessions throughout the weekend, but there's also time to rest, to connect, to eat. Um, there's recreation, but we want to worship together. We want to worship through those things. And so um, there's a QR code. You can sign up there. You can also can ask me any questions you have. But um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and pray for that if you guys will join me. Um, yeah, and we'll get on with our service. Father, thank you so much that you have given us the opportunity to connect with you and to fellowship together. I pray over our women's retreat. I pray that women would have a desire to come and grow deeper with you and to connect with other women and to, um, yeah, to rest and just be recuperated and restored. I pray that there would be good fellowship, good friendships would be built. I pray that we would be able to connect and, um, yeah, just deepen our, our love and our admiration for you. And Father, I thank you for tonight. I pray that tonight would be would be sweet. I pray that our service would be a time that we can connect with you and, um, God, that we would let the worries of the world um, just fade in the background. As we sit next to people, I pray that we would see you in them. I pray that as we worship through song and through prayer and through a service that, God, our hearts would be open to you, our minds would be open, they would be cleared, and we would just be able to receive from you. We love you, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Wow. I just got to spend about a minute with one of my favorite people uh, in the whole wide world. Lauren is, is my daughter-in-law, and we're so thankful for her. Hey, my name's Tom Toomer, and I get to work with the prayer team here. And tonight, as Scott said, we get to do a prayer pause. 
And for those of you who are new, our prayer pause is just simply a time to slow down and to take a deep breath and relax. But it's also a time because all of us come in here with stuff, right? Anybody got any stuff going on? And we just need to release. God, God invites us to release our stuff to him. But we also want to help us refocus on God. And so for the next, all, all this year, we'll have 12 different aspects of God that we focus on. Um, but we also want to give you simple practices you can use throughout your week to connect with God more deeply. You know, our mission statement here at Fellowship Mosaic, part of it says to know the authentic Christ in order to express him to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And so that's what we want to do, is we want to give you opportunities just to know God more and more deeply. And so let me invite you to take a deep breath, or maybe three or four. And as you do, acknowledge, God, thank you that you're here. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. And thank you that you want to speak to me tonight. And what is it you need to release to him? What's the stuff that you've come in here with that you just need to... For me, a lot of times I just open my hands and I say, God, as best I can, I release this to you. So take a moment to do that. And as we refocus on God tonight, we want to refocus on our God who gives. We have a God who loves to give. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And so we want to experience what God wants to give. And one of the things we're trying to do with our prayer pauses this year is if we can, we want to tie them to the text that we're teaching. And so as I was spending time in Daniel, this idea merged of the God who gives. And so Daniel 1.9, um, it says, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. In 1.17, it says, God gave the four men different kinds of abilities. And it also said he gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. And then in 123, as Daniel is praising God, he says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told or given me what we ask of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. And a little bit ago when I was kind of thinking about this idea of the God who gives, and I just happened to look from my chair where I sit, and this was the picture that I saw on the screen. And as I looked at each of these, I thought each of these represents something that God has given. 
Um, the cross, there's a cowboy kneeling at the cross, and that represents where I grew up. I grew up on a cattle ranch in the mountains of western Colorado, and, and how God shaped my heart and gave me so many things, but then he brought me to that place, and he gave me life. I look at the picture at the top, and again, you'll see my, my ranching theme, but this was given to me. God, God gave me this picture at a time where life was hard probably some of the hardest times that Linda and I had walked through. But from Psalm 19, God gave me a promise. He says, Tom, I'm going to lead you into a broad place, a place of freedom and life, and he has done that. There's a picture of Israel when God gave us that opportunity, and I could go on and on. But I want to give you a moment to think, what has God given you? And you might think about, has God given you favor? among those that you walk among, special favor? Has God provided for you? Has God given you hard opportunities to grow? Or family or ability? So let's just take a couple minutes and let's pause and ask God, God, what have you given me? And then let's tell him thank you. Father, open our eyes wider and wider to see what you've given. Help us to open our hearts wider and wider to you to receive what you want to give. Thank you. Amen. Hey, could I encourage you throughout this week to take times to stop and just look and see what has God given It'll be fun to see what he does. Hey, we're going to go into our offering prayer. And so if you would pray this with me. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them for your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, God. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. Will you stand and continue to worship? your song with us.
shall come with trumpets out. Oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone. For this to stand before the throne, I put my trust. Lord, we put our trust in you. We say that boldly and ask that you would form and shape our hearts to follow suit of that belief. We put our trust in you alone and you alone, just like Daniel. In your name we pray, amen. I'm gonna like to welcome Karen Natzel up to the stage to read our passage of scripture tonight. You may have a seat. Hi, Mosaic. My name is Kara, and my current favorite things to experience at Mosaic are hanging out with my community group, Miriam, and others in Springdale, um, hanging out with the kindergartners and elementary school kids here on Saturday nights, singing in the choir when I get the chance to, and sitting front row second service at 6.30 with Matt, my husband, and our four kiddos. Um, And it's my honor tonight to read God's word with you. Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure in the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 
So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Aha, uh-huh. thank you. Let's just close in prayer. <laughs> just kidding. I know, I, I know you guys were kind of pumped about that. Um, it's always a joy to be here, and I'm not just saying that, but you know, it's a special joy tonight uh, because I get to unpack um, an amazing introduction to one of the most unique books in the Bible. Uh, Daniel was written about 100 years before Esther, and it really is one of the most unique books in the Word. I, um, many years ago, and uh, some of you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home and memorized a couple hundred verses before I went to college and had seminary and a, a, a bunch of stuff. And so often, I kind of blew through Daniel chapter 1 because I wanted to get on to like really fun stuff, because Daniel has some amazing stuff, which we'll talk about in just a sec. But I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, uh, as I was going through Daniel chapter 1, God used a verse that caught my attention. And that verse brought about um, kind of a pivot in how I view spending time with God and had a great impact on my walk with him in ways that all the wonderful stories um, didn't. And, and I wanted to share that with you tonight. Um, Dr. John Walford, the late president of Dallas Seminary, said this about Daniel. The book of Daniel is the most comprehensive and sweeping revelation recorded by any prophet in the Old Testament. That's pretty big, any prophet. No prophetic book provides a more comprehensive and chronological prophetic view of the hand of God through history than Daniel. Now, Daniel is not like Numbers, and Numbers is an important book. It's in the Bible, but if you want to read through Numbers, you have to drink like several very strong cups of coffee uh, to stay awake, okay? Like, unless you're in the Numbers, but even then, you better have at least one cup of, and not decaf. Um, but Daniel, it kind of keeps you awake as you move through it. 
Here are some, just some fascinating highlights from Daniel. We have death-beating kings. We have nightmare visions. We have a prophet thrown to the lions. We have a giant idol of gold. We have a frolic and a fiery furnace. And we have a king turns into a wild animal. Um, so starting next week, it's really going to get fun. <laughs> okay. Let me also unpack briefly Daniel's unique context, because it's important to understand the context of, of when this took place for who Daniel was and the impact God used him to have. Number one, Daniel lived 500 years before the birth of Christ, yet he predicted the exact year and day that Jesus would have his triumphal entry in Jerusalem and be crucified to you and me. Not bad, eh? 500 years before it happened. Number two, Daniel was a godly <clears throat> boy man sent to an ungodly Babylon at a time when God's blessing on Israel had been lifted and he was forced to live in a secular society. He was taken up with all of his people and moved to a, a foreign land. And uh, notice I have here a boy man. For much of my early years, I thought Daniel was probably 25, 30, 35. Most Bible scholars would say that Daniel was probably about 15, maybe a bit older, but in his late teens, mid to late teens, when he and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were taken to Babylon. So you're in your mid-teens, and an enemy comes in, uh, the army of the most powerful person in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, comes in, captures a city, tears it down, and takes the inhabitants to a foreign country. Mid to late teens. Number three, Babylon didn't acknowledge God and saw him as totally irrelevant. So everything you believe is kind of goofy or weird and is just kind of ignored. Number four, Daniel and the boys were under tremendous pressure to compromise and conform. And that, you know, is kind of somewhat like us today. Um, we live in a country where um, there's more and more effort to, to, to minimize space and rationalize and everything's relative and we all have our own views. And um, there's a lot of pressure, both subtly, but also in more blatant ways to conform, to be silent, to play it safe, to don't make waves about your faith, don't take it too seriously. So this is a unique context of the book of Daniel. So let's jump in and do kind of an overview of, of, of chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, it kind of sets the stage, Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem. So this has the first siege and capture of Jerusalem, and the people deported and sent to Babylon, again by, at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar. In verses 3 through 5, some Jewish boys are chosen for special training. So basically, and this was not uncommon when a foreign land came in and took uh, another people. What happened is that they picked some of the cream of the crop. Uh, they picked the brightest, the, the best, the buff, uh, young, a few young Jewish guys to take, and they were selected for special service for the king. So they would get to live in the king's palace, serve in the king's court, have special quarters, have special food, have special training. So what the king had to eat, these guys should have to eat. 
So, speaking through five, we have Jerusalem's been captured. People are taken captive. A small group of guys are picked from this group uh, for special service. And then verses six and seven, we're introduced to Daniel and the boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, all these guys are picked, but there are four the Bible introduces us to. And then in verses 8, 9, and 10, and this was kind of a pivotal passage for me. Uh, <clears throat> Daniel makes a choice. And Daniel makes a choice that impacts the rest of his life. It, it, it impacts how God can use him. It impacts whether or not God could trust him. It indicates the faith that he had in God. Not just lip service, but his faith is put on the line. Let me read to you from my favorite version. I made it up. <laughs> but you're used to that by now, okay. Um, but Daniel resolved. He purposed. He decided in advance. He chose. He determined. It was a clear act of the will. It didn't just happen. It wasn't a whim, okay? In his heart and mind, and the reason why I have heart and mind together is that in, in the years of Greek that I had, Greek has all kinds of words, and uh, the same word in English can have three or four Greek words. For example, love, there are five or six different words in Greek for our one word of love. But when I had Hebrew, <clears throat> I found out that one Hebrew word can have five, six, in some cases, seven different interpretations. It depends upon the context. So Daniel purposed in his heart, mind, in other words, a core from the Hebrew perspective of who Daniel was. Again, it wasn't just a will. It indicated his values, what was important to him, not to compromise, sell out, play it safe, defy himself with the royal gourmet food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Again, for years, I missed the significance of this verse. I was too pumped to move on to the exciting stuff. But here we have this teenager, Daniel, and he makes a choice, again, a decision that impacts the rest of his life. Daniel, at the outset, is faced with a seemingly insignificant compromise. I, I mean, think about it. Uh, he's given food that didn't meet the requirements of the Mosaic law, and he's given wine that's been dedicated uh, to idols. So what's the big deal? Why does that matter? And the fact is, we're not exactly sure. There are kinds of debates about why that was so important. I mean, um, the Ten Commandments don't say thou shalt, you know, do this or that. But what we do know is that in Daniel's time, where Daniel was, what they understood God to be saying to them in the context of where they were, that eating food offered to idols and drinking wine would have been a betrayal, a kind of denial, if you will, of their faith in who they believe God could be. Now, this group of folks who doesn't believe in God at all, that doesn't make sense. 
But that didn't matter to Daniel. Daniel and his friends made a life-threatening choice motivated by a deeply held conviction. He didn't just believe. He believed. So we now have a test, verses 11 through 16. So Daniel requests a 10-day test. He goes to the guy who is over all these trainees, and he says, hey, listen, for 10 days, how about if you just give us veggies and water? And if after 10 days uh, we don't look good or we look bad or whatever, then, okay, then go ahead and do what you need to do. Now, the official knew that if Nebuchadnezzar found out what he allowed these four guys to do, he probably would have his head cut off. But somehow, Daniel talked this official into letting him do that. So, uh, the request is granted. And verse 15, 10 days later, gives us the result. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than all the other youth who had been eating the king's food. So the official says, hey, you look better and you're doing better. Go on. So 11 through 16, the test. We move to 17 through 21. And now we have the results. But verse 17 takes place three years later than verse 16. So we have the test three years later. Here's what happened. And, and we read this, but let me read it again. At the end of the three years set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. The most powerful man in the world <laughs> talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Now, now here's what's amazing. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Not just 10 times better than the other guys, but 10 times better than the most brilliant, the wisest, the most trusted men in the kingdom. Amazing. The last verse of chapter 1, and Daniel remained there until uh, the reign of, of King Cyrus. So, we've just done chapter 1. Here comes the big question, though. Some of you know I love this question. So what? I mean, okay, Israel, uh, the first time they're conquered, they're taken away, and they take a bunch of guys, and four guys taken from them, and they decide they just want veggies and water, uh, and, uh, and, and, and they're faithful, and, and at the end of three years. Um, well, here's the so what. At the outset, Daniel made choices. He shows us that seemingly small, seemingly insignificant choices can often have a significant and long-term impact. Daily choices we make Daily things that we allow ourselves to be distracted by. Small things that we do that aren't necessarily sin. Over time, can become habits. And being faithful in little often sets us up for being faithful in much. Now, how does that work? 
But let me, let me put my psychologist, my therapist hat on uh, and go into some neurobiology and unpack this for you briefly. Repeated choices, we now know neurologically, repeated choices lead to habits. And habits become unconscious and reflexive. Neurologically, they create, they carve out new neural pathways that over time become unconscious and reflexive. Let me demonstrate this for you. If you have access to a pen or pencil, grab it, okay? Just get a pen or pencil. Now, <clears throat> uh, put your pen or pencil in your less preferred hand. So if you're right-handed, put it in your left hand. If you're left-handed, put it in your right hand. So far, so good? Am I going too fast? Okay, okay. Now, when I say go, I want you to write your full name with your less preferred hand as fast as you would with your preferred hand. No big deal. You ready? Ready, set, go. How's it look? What does it feel like? You're just signing your name. I mean, give me a break. Well, you're not used to signing your name with your less preferred hand. You probably haven't tried that, some of you, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And what you can do reflexively with your preferred hand, they can't do with your less preferred hand. And that has become automatic reflexive for you. You don't have to think about it. Okay, what's the first letter of, would you sign your name? Thank you. Well, that's how habits happen. Now, watch this short video, and it might do a, a, a more helpful job of explaining it to you. Watch this.
don't happen overnight. Small choices that we make day in, day out become unconscious and reflexive. And this is why Philippians 4, 8, and 9 is so important or, or valuable. And in this passage, Paul writes, so whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, choose to fill your minds. Set your minds on, focus and dwell on these things. Don't just let them blow through, but take some time to fill and set and focus and dwell. In fact, then he goes on, choose to put into practice or just do it. Now, they didn't have Nike in you know, Paul's day, but basically Paul's saying, just do it. What you learned and heard and saw in me, and the God who can cause all things to work together for good will be with you. Now, here was the aha. So often I'd read Daniel 1.8, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool, but you know what? We don't have any king's meat today. Uh, I've never been asked to eat meat offered to idols. I've never been asked to drink wine, um, uh, you know, uh, you know that I, I shouldn't drink or that had been given to idols. So um, this doesn't really relate to me, but then I kind of had a aha. And that's very simple. Is there any kind of king's meat in our world today that can serve as a distraction or a temptation? that in itself may not be sin, but over time can become a habit. Question. Ask yourself, what do I feed my mind, especially during your free time? What do I choose to notice and pay attention? If I go in the store and notice somebody, do I ever check them out? Do I ever visualize things and... Do I ever notice someone who has a better car or a nicer home or dresses nicer than me? Or um, when I, I feel like I could do this, do, do I ever think, well, I, I just need to relax and spend time doing some things that may not be bad, but I find myself more and more maybe wasting time? What does my mental, spiritual diet look like? What do I mentally like to snack on? I mean, we all like to snack on things mentally. What do we mentally like to snack on? Do I regularly choose to set my mind on things above as much as I do on Facebook or social media? I'm not criticizing Facebook. I'm not criticizing social media in any way, shape, or form. Don't mishear what I'm saying. But it's so easy um, to spend time. I mean... How many hours a week do we spend on social media? The average American spends two and a half hours a day, a day, on social media, some form of social media. Two and a half hours a day. Now, is that bad? Not necessarily. But I wonder if those same people, maybe who are believers, spend 10 minutes a day in the Word or 10 minutes a day in prayer. I don't know if anyone said, you know what? I think tomorrow I'm going to spend two hours checking out and being distracted by social media. No, it happened. Okay? It happened. Again, again, and it became an unconscious, reflexive habit. 
I've been to increasing number of, of, of restaurants, and, 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 and research supports my observation. And I'll see families who are there four or five, and they'll be there for 45 minutes, a half hour, however long I'm there, and they're all at the table looking at their phones. Are the phones bad? No. Are they wrong? No. Are they a sin? No. But that's not the point. It's like, okay, guys, Friday night we're going to go out and have dinner together and stare at our phones all night. How can you have relationships when the distractions become more important than relationships? Okay? See, what we keep on paying attention to become habits. And they become unconscious and they become reflexive. It's easier for us to choose innocent and initially innocuous distractions for the short-term pleasure. Not bad in themselves, but over time, they can become long-term habits that are really helpful or healthy. I've worked with many alcoholics. I've, I've worked in a treatment centers where some folks have come back for the third, fourth, fifth time. I've never worked with an alcoholic who said, you know, Doc, I decided to wake up one day <clears throat> and think, man, I'm going to go and drink a six-pack of beer tonight. It didn't happen that way. I, I, I've never met an alcoholic who, bam, said, I think I'm going to give my life to alcohol. It, it became a habit. It felt good, one more, one more. Am I saying you shouldn't have beer? Absolutely not. I hope you know by now it's not about that. But choices become habits. And every alcoholic I ever worked with, and I've worked with hundreds, over time it became a habit and it became an addition. addition. And something that wasn't bad in itself had some unhealthy, life-changing relationship changing consequences. Social media, the same. How about TV? That's not on TV. There are folks who spend six, seven hours a day watching TV. Is that a sin? No. Is that a good use of time? No. Is it helped me become a better husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a friend? Is it <clears throat> helped me go and become a healthier person? No. In fact, it has the opposite effect. How about porn? And no aspect of porn is good, don't get me wrong, but I, I've worked with thousands of folks, mostly men, some women, who were addicted to porn. Some spent tens of thousands of dollars. Some lost their marriages and their family because of porn. I've never met one out of thousands and thousands I've worked with, not one, who said, you know, I think tomorrow, I'm going to come home, I'm going to spend three hours on my TV after everyone goes to bed and look at porn. Never happened. A little peek here, five minutes, 10, 15, slowly over time, the distractions that brought pleasure led to a habit that became reflexive that took over their life. Distractions offer the play now Pay it later plan. But the pain always lasts a lot longer than the pain. See, here's the deal. Daniel's desire for holiness, Daniel's desire to obey God, the guy's just a teenager, led him 
to be faithful in little things. Now, saying I'm not going to have a, you know, the, the meat and wine could have cost his life, but that was like a one-time event. But that led him to be faithful in bigger things. Now, let's get a little bit more practical. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wrapping this up. One, one of the ahas for me is that I realize that how I choose to start my day can and will impact the rest of my day. So here's Daniel's little secret. As I went through Daniel, I noticed that he chose to start every day by listening, trusting, and obeying, and being faithful in little things. And this led to healthy habits. And that's how it becomes successful in big things. So just for fun, let's take a peek at a few chapters down the road. Uh, and let's see the long-term impact of Daniel's choices. In chapter 6, and I, I can't say a lot about it because the person who's going to teach chapter 6 will get upset with me. So uh, I'll just say a little bit about chapter 6. But in chapter 6, or in chapter 6, Daniel's now 75, okay? He was 15, he's now 75. So in chapter 6, <clears throat> we have a new king, Darius. And... Uh, Darius um, picks a few guys, uh, actually three guys, Daniel's one of them, to be in charge of all the other folks who rule the people. So Daniel is at the top of the leadership food chain. And uh, it says Daniel 6.10, three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had been doing for years. This is one of his habits, praying three times a day. Now, David prayed three times a day. He praised God seven times a day. We go through the Old Testament. That wasn't uncommon with godly men. But the thing is, um, Daniel had these other two guys who didn't like him. They were jealous of him. And the king had said in Egypt that for 30 days, anyone who worships anything else but him would be put to death. Well, they knew Daniel's habits. Everybody knew Daniel's habits. He was faithful in little. Praying three times a day, yippee ki that's not a big deal, huh? So they go to Jairus and say, hey, Daniel disobeyed your edict. And your edict, which Jairus couldn't undo, says that anyone who disobeys that will be put to death. So Daniel is set up by these uh, uh, other two guys. There is found out. Daniel 6, 16. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in at last, and he was cast into the lion's den. The king spoke to Daniel. Now, this is amazing. Darius is now the Nebuchadnezzar. He's like the most powerful man in the world. And, and, and this powerful guy comes to Daniel and says, Your God whom you constantly serve. Darius rules the world, but he knew that Daniel's God was their priority. Wow. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. So what happens? Come back in a few weeks, and you'll find out in chapter 6. To be continued, okay? But one of the most valuable life lessons in my over 50 years of walking with Jesus. One of the most valuable lessons is that 
how I choose to start my day can have an impact on the rest of my day. Now, if you start your day with a short prayer, two minutes, five minutes, or whatever, you may not feel a rush. You may not have a spiritual sense. You may not hear angels. You probably won't. Um, you may not have a aha. Uh-huh. Sometimes you will. But that's not the point. The point is to begin to create a healthy, reflexive habit that can stay with you for the rest of your life. And here's how simple it can be. I want to share with you uh, one of my favorite apps. It's Lectio 365. Every morning for over a decade, I've started my morning with Lectio 365. It's about seven minutes. And just by some British folks, so they sound kind of fun. And it walks you through some scripture. It walks you through some ideas, some thoughts. But it's so unbelievably practical. I mean, it really is amazing. Seven, eight minutes, okay? So that's one way that you can, maybe one thing you can maybe start to do different. <clears throat> Another is uh, Fellowship Study Guide on Esther and Daniel. It is really good, you guys. So practical. On page 47, the Monday through Friday activities. I've done them several times. And on page 48, there are some discussion questions. So let me land this. For the next seven days, that's all. Not just 30, not six months, not a year. For the next seven days, I want to invite you, encourage you to start the day by feeding your mind, by setting your mind on things above. Just like Daniel did, just like Paul talks about. And this will help set your mind. So I want to invite you to maybe start into tomorrow morning uh, to um, <clears throat> spend a few minutes with Lectio 365. Here's a prayer that I've been praying for a while. I- I'm going to read it. Then I'll invite those of you who want to to pray it with me. Lord, help me start the day with you. I'm choosing to begin each day. It's a choice. I'm choosing to begin each day with regular habits. And early on, sometimes I've forgotten till 12 or noon, and when we do it's not that critical. But Daniel purposed in his heart. God, I purpose in my heart, like Daniel 1-8, okay, to begin each day with prayer, worship, and engaging with your word. Lecture 365 has all those three things in one. May my holy habits help me become a person who lives, looks, listens, loves, and sounds a wee bit more like you every day. For your honor and glory, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to invite those of you who want to read this out loud with me, okay? Those of you who would like to join me in this prayer. Lord, help me to start the day with you. I'm choosing to begin each day with regular habits of prayer, worship, and engaging with your word. May my holy habits help me become a person who lives, looks, listens, loves, and sounds a wee bit more like you every day. In the name of the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God thanks you for the example of Daniel and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, who early in their lives, <clears throat> they chose to be faithful. They chose to create habits of spending time with you, listening to you, and talking to you. And God, I thank you for how invaluable one small habit can be. Dear Holy Spirit, may we respond to whatever you have said to us tonight. For your honor and glory, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing? Um, I was recently in Zion National Park. And as I was looking at over one of the views, I just felt like God was helping me be grateful for how slow he is, how he moves with such patience in our lives. So let's remember as we sing this that our God is faithful and always deserving of praise over anything else. He is constant and slow moving and patient with us. There is no other.
give you every moment. Help us to give you our morning, our afternoon, our evening, our lying down, our standing up. You've not left us. You are there. You found us. We can't escape. Help us to give you every moment to glorify you as King and Lord of everything, as sovereign, as creator, as above all, and in all and through all. We glorify you, King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for gathering, Mosaic Church. You are loved in this place. Um, please do not leave without connecting with somebody. And if you're new, Tell someone around you or go to our info booth and figure out how to get involved. If you'd like to be prayed with, you can find someone up on stage who would love to pray with you or someone from our prayer team over by one of the banners or grab someone next to you. Find a, a fellow priest. Hey, Mosaic family, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, people said. We'll see you next week. <laughs>